welcome to the Brookings Cafeteria, a podcast about ideas and the experts who have them. I'm Fred Dews. America's seniors are living longer, but there is a growing gap in life expectancy between the rich and the poor. That's the subject of new research by Brookings Senior Fellows Gary Burtless and Barry Bosworth and Kan Zhang at George Washington University. Today's episode features a discussion of the findings with Gary Burtless, and then we'll hear from David Wessel, who will explain some of the policy implications and responses, especially for Social Security. Thanks for joining me again on the podcast, Gary. Hello. Right at the start of the paper, quote, in an era of disappointing income gains for the average American family, the aged have done remarkably well, unquote. Who are the aged and what is remarkably well? Well, we can start the aged at any age beyond age 60, I suppose, 65, 70. But let's take the population that's age 62 and older. Even at the uh, bottom end of the income distribution for the aged population, they have seen incomes rise about 0.7% a year for the last 35 years. And that is far, far better than people in the equivalent position of the non-aged have seen their incomes grow. In the middle of the uh, income distribution for people past 62, incomes have climbed about seven-tenths of a point a year, uh, and that is pretty pretty good relative to people in the non-aged population who've barely seen any income growth at all. And what are some of the factors that are driving that uh, increase? Well, one of the big factors we care about is the fact that people past the age of uh, 60, 62, are working longer than they did uh, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. There has been a sharp contrast between what's going on in the labor market between people who are past 60 and people who are under 60. The folks past 60 have stayed in their jobs longer. They've remained in the labor force uh, more tenaciously. When they are employed, uh, they're working longer hours than their counterparts did 30 years ago. So the labor incomes of the population past 60 have been going up and Wages, self-employment income now constitutes a bigger percentage of the income of the older population, and that is one reason. Another reason is, especially at the bottom end of the income distribution among aged people, government social protection, like Social Security, uh, has uh, kept up with inflation, and people have uh, generally not experienced the income losses that low-wage workers have sustained in the regular job market. Let's turn to Social Security then for a few minutes. It is a government benefit that uh, I guess nearly all workers, when they retire, can get. Um, So you all talk about that being sort of an income floor for that cohort. So is that one of the reasons why they're relatively better off than younger workers? Well, that's very true for the population that has low income uh, or just moderate income. Uh, Once you turn 62, you can start collecting a Social Security pension, and that kind of income has been better protected than the wage income received by uh, middle-aged younger workers. Uh, And uh, at the top of the income distribution for aged people, their incomes have certainly risen faster. So inequality among the aged has gone up as it has amongst the non-aged. It's just that it hasn't gone up as much because the income protections available to middle-income aged people and low-income aged people provided through Social Security mainly. And you point to what I think of as uh, kind of a a paradox. The aged workers on the lower end of the income spectrum tend to retire and take Social Security earlier 
than the workers on the upper end of the income distribution. Can you talk about that for a minute? The the trend toward later retirement has been uh, much more noticeable among well-educated aged folks compared with less educated aged folks. Uh, Generally speaking, higher education is also linked to having higher wages. So the fact that uh, the aged population now contains people who are better educated, actually considerably better educated than the aged population used to uh, be back in 1980 or 1990 or even the year 2000, uh, is one reason that uh, there's been a delay in retirement. But those folks who don't have as much uh, schooling do not have the range of employment opportunities. They find it harder to get reemployed if they lose their jobs in old age. And so even though they, they also have been retiring a little bit later, uh, there hasn't been such a striking increase in their uh, retirement ages compared with the middle income and higher income elderly. So what are the consequences of retiring as early as you can if you're a lower income worker to begin with and you hit age 62 and then you retire and you start taking Social Security? What impact does that have on your on your Social Security earnings? Well, over the last 35 years, there have been major reforms in the Social Security benefit formula. Uh, it used to be that you gave up maybe one-fifth of the full retirement check you could earn if you started collecting at 62. Now that penalty has gone up to 25%. So you've, you lose 25% of your pension at the full retirement age. But in addition, the benefit formula has been adjusted so that there's a much bigger payoff to delaying when you claim your pension even past the full retirement age. The full retirement age is currently 66. If you retire at age 70, you start collecting a pension at age 70, uh, your pension is about 76% higher than it is if you start collecting it at the earliest age you can, which would be age 62. So that is a very big difference. And the people who are high income, aged, uh, are more likely to delay, to wait till they're 66, the full retirement age, or 70, uh, when you get an even bigger pension. Whereas the lower income uh, workers are still, by and large, claiming pensions when they're 62, which is the earliest stage that it can be done. And do you know why that is? Because it seems, again, like a paradox that the lower wage workers should delay retirement so they can keep earning money and not lose uh, some of their Social Security benefits when they do retire. Well, one reason is that the lower your earnings in the middle of your life, in mid-career, the shorter your life expectancy. And so, you may feel you're giving up a bigger portion of your lifetime benefits if instead of uh, claiming right away at 62, you wait till 66 to start claiming. You've given up four years of benefit payments. And uh, if you have moderate or modest uh, earnings when you're young, you you may think that uh, you're not going to live so long, so you'd better start collecting as soon as you can in order to get as much as you can. The better educated folks have always uh, lived longer. The people who have higher mid-career earnings have always lived longer, and so maybe it makes more sense uh, to higher-income person to delay claiming a pension. Or maybe they're just better informed about what the trade-offs are. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to step back and ask kind of a a very broad question about the composition of income that uh, the aged 
have. We've, we always hear about the triad of Social Security, investments, pensions, um, if they're you know, post-wage. Are those still kind of the main uh, ingredients of income? Absolutely. When your earnings cease, those are the, the main components of income for older people. But nowadays, as older people are delaying the age at which they make their final exit from the workforce, some people still have part-time earnings, but an increasing share of the working elderly have full-time earnings. So now earnings constitutes a bigger percentage of the retirement income of older people. They still are earning wages at age uh, 68, at age 72, even uh, past age 75 in a few cases. And do you see this phenomenon differentiated by factors such as gender and race or geographic location? I'm less certain about uh, geographical location, although that would be a very uh, interesting area to research. With regard to gender, the, the, these trends are remarkably similar for both men and women. Uh, there used to be, as I'm sure our listeners know, huge difference in the lifetime earnings patterns of, of uh, men and women. Men kept on working. Uh, they didn't take as much time off when they had children as women did. Uh, and over the course of their careers, they worked considerably longer. Those differences have shrunk. And as men and women have become more similar in their lifetime earnings patterns, they've also become quite similar in their retirement patterns. They're retiring at the same age, and the increase in retirement for work, male workers is also evident for women workers. Now, Gary, can you talk about what some of the major implications are of these findings for society and for public policy? Well, one of our big findings is that the life expectancy difference between low-income workers, middle-income workers, and high-income workers has been increasing over time. For people born in 1920, uh, their life expectancy was not as long, typically, as the life expectancy for people born in 1940. But those gains between those two birth years were very unequally distributed if we compare people with low mid-career earnings and people with high mid-career earnings. In the case of women, almost all of the increase in overall life expectancy was among middle and high-income women. Uh, women with very low mid-career incomes have seen almost no improvement whatsoever in their expected lifespans. For men, it's a similar broad pattern, but even the lowest income men have seen some improvement in their lifespans. According to the, our research evidence, it looks like men have enjoyed faster gains in life expectancy. They still cannot expect to live as long as women, but they have seen better improvement in their life expectancy. But the, we still find exactly the same pattern for men as we do for women. Those men in the top part of the mid-career earnings distribution have received outsized gains in their life expectancy. And the ones who have very low mid-career earnings have seen very small gains in life expectancy. The implications for Social Security are fairly straightforward. Uh, suppose we want to reform Social Security in a way to keep the program sustainable, the, the cost of the program affordable to active workers in the future. Well, one way to do that is to raise the retirement age, and it turns out that 
is exactly equivalent to giving everybody, regardless of when they start claiming a pension, 62, 66, 70, it's equivalent to giving them a percentage, a fixed percentage cut in their monthly benefits. Well, if you're a high-income worker, our results suggest you can expect to live longer. You can collect, you can expect to collect Social Security for more months past the age at which you first claim a pension, and that will offset some of the losses that you are experiencing because your monthly benefits have been cut. But our evidence also suggests that for the low-income worker, there's going to be very little improvement in your lifespan that will offset the fact that you have to accept, a, say, a 6%, 8% cut uh, in your monthly pensions, which is about the cut that you would expect if the retirement age is raised, say, from 66 to 67 or from 67 to 68. And it's 67 right now, I think, for those born after 1960. Ex- exactly right. Yeah. Okay. So it sounds like it just it comes it all comes back to this question of inequality within that age cohort, and then inequality between the cohort and everybody else. Right. In the short run, the Part of the inequality, rising inequality among the aged, is being driven by the fact that the higher income elderly are the ones that are most likely to postpone when they retire. So they're not collecting their Social Security yet, but they are collecting a paycheck, and the paycheck is typically bigger than the Social Security check they're ultimately going to collect, whereas the lower income workers are still, by and large, collecting their pension Uh, stopping work closer to age 62. Uh, And in the future, those high-income workers, if past patterns uh, continue, are going to live longer. And so when they stop working, by delaying when they claim their Social Security pension, they are going to be getting a bigger Social Security check, and that is going to reduce uh, the equalizing effects of Social Security on the incomes of the people who are already stopped working. You know, they're, they're, the only income they have is from retirement income source. None of it is coming from wages. So in the short run, inequality is rising because the high income workers are more likely to keep on working later in life. But eventually, even after they retire, the inequality will go up because they will be collecting a bigger pension because they delayed when they claimed that pension. Well, Gary, thanks for your time today in explaining this very important research. Thank you. You can find the paper and an abundance of data and wonderful charts on our website at brookings.edu. And now, David Wessel talks about the findings of this research and its importance to the Social Security program. I'm David Wessel, and this is my economic update. It's common knowledge that Americans are living longer. My grandfather died at age 29 in the influenza epidemic of 1918. My dad's still alive. He's 98. At last count, there were more than 72,000 Americans over age 100, most of them women. In 1980, there were only about 15,000. Only recently has another fact about longevity become clear. Rich people live longer than poor people. A couple of my Brookings colleagues, Gary Burtless and Barry Bosworth, recently observed that the life expectancy of a man born in 1940 who was in the top 10% of the income distribution at middle age is about 88. But the life expectancy of a man born that same year in the bottom 10% of the income distribution is only about 76, 12 years less. 
For women, the gap's about 10 years. Put another way, as my colleague Louise Shainer says, virtually all of the gains in life expectancy are occurring among the top 60% of the income distribution. So when we talk about the widening gap between winners and losers in our economy, growing inequality, we're not only talking about how much money you have, how big your house is, whether your kids can afford pricey college. We're talking about life and death, about how long you're likely to live. Now, this makes a lot of people uncomfortable, and it should. And we can think of all sorts of policy responses, healthier eating and lifestyles among low-income adults, focusing on the health and habits of their kids, identifying better ways to provide health care to the poor, expanding efforts to raise the wages of those at the bottom. But the longevity gap has implications for Social Security that aren't fully understood by politicians or the public. Social Security boosts the incomes of people who had low-wage jobs more than those who had high-wage jobs. It's an inequality reducer. That's one reason there's less income inequality among seniors than among the rest of the population. But the growing gap in life expectancy means high-wage workers will collect Social Security benefits over longer periods of time. Someday, not this year, but someday, we're going to reform Social Security. We're going to cut benefits. We're going to raise taxes on working people. The longevity gap is one more reason to make these changes carefully and to avoid across-the-board cuts. During their working lives, lower-wage workers haven't enjoyed much of the economic growth that we've seen over the past decade or so. Many of them don't have any retirement savings benefits at work, so they enter retirement with fewer assets than better-paid Americans. And now we know that they're likely to live shorter lives, so their lifetime Social Securities will be lower than those paid to better-off Americans. Across-the-board cuts would make that inequity even worse. I'm David Wessel, and this is my economic update. And that's all for this edition of the Brookings Cafeteria. My thanks to our audio engineer and producer, Zach Colzer, with editing help from Mark Holscher. Plus, thanks to Carissa Nitschi, Jessica Pavone, Eric Abalahan, Rebecca Weiser, and our intern, Sarah Abdel-Rahim. You can subscribe to the Brookings Cafeteria on iTunes and listen to it in all the usual places. Remember to send feedback email to bcp at brookings.edu. Until next time, I'm Fred Dews.